It's so great to be with you this morning, brothers and sisters, for these three studies on providence. I first gave these talks to a student conference in Sydney at Easter time. Last year when the student conference said to me, what would you like to speak on? I said, I'd really like to do a series of studies on the doctrine of providence. And then the leader of the campus group said, Reese, we're not really sure that people are talking about that. <laughs> COVID hits, he gets back to me and said, Reese, everyone is talking about providence. The talks will be really timely. We need to talk about providence because our world is. They might, our world might not use the language of providence, but the questions that we're being asked are actually about the doctrine of providence. And this is what providence is, how God uses his power. So if someone says to you, what's providence about? Your answer will be, it's all about how God uses his power. Does he use his power directly or indirectly? Does he use me or does he not use me? Where's God's power when there's so much suffering in the world? How come God didn't stop COVID? These three studies in the Psalms, so this morning, Psalm 121 and Psalm 73, and tomorrow morning, Psalm 2, are all Psalms where we learn about how God uses his power. That is, they're all Psalms about providence. The word providence might not appear, but the idea is providence, how God uses his power in the world. You might not think that you've developed your own thinking about the doctrine of providence. You might not have done it intentionally. But I reckon if I ask you to get up here and give your testimony, how you became a Christian, I could learn exactly what you think about providence by listening to your testimony. Because when you give your testimony, you'll talk about how God worked in your life, how his power was available to you. So without using the word, you have a doctrine of providence. And I often say to my students, you tell me your conversion story and I'll tell you what you believe about the doctrine of providence. Why am I giving these talks? Why is it so important for us to know what providence is about? Well, I have very meager goals for this weekend. You'll be happy to know. I just want you to be more confident as a Christian. I just want you to be more confident, more stable, more settled as a Christian. And the great thing about the doctrine of providence is that you will grow in your feelings of confidence as you grow in your understanding of how God uses his power in the world. So tomorrow lunchtime, if you don't feel more confident, pin me down and say, Reese, I don't think your talk's worked. Because that's my goal, right? I want you to leave this weekend feeling more confident as a believer in Jesus Christ. My goals are modest.
We need the doctrine of providence so that Christians can feel confident and stable. We need the doctrine of providence at this very moment because our world is asking questions, not just because of COVID, but heightened because of COVID, as to where God's power is. And I want you to be able to share your testimony describing God's power at work in your own life. So let me pray for us. It is so fantastic, our dear Heavenly Father, that we can be together this weekend and to learn about how you use your power in the world for good. So please help us now as we submit to your word and we, as we learn by your spirit to see ourselves in these ways. For we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Last year, I was 145 days by myself during lockdown in Melbourne. I lived by myself. I did see some other human beings at the supermarket or passing them on my walk each afternoon down by the creek. But when COVID or lockdown hit, I decided I had to do some things to keep myself healthy. So, of course, the first thing I did was buy a new smart TV. <laughs> my TV was on the blink anyway, and I thought, look, if I'm going to get through a long lockdown, I've got to have those kind of moments of relaxation. I bought a new speaker so I could play music in the lounge, and I had my daily walk along the Mooney Ponds Creek. But it wasn't just that I walked along the creek. I decided each day that in walking... I needed to look up to the treetops, to look for the birds that I'd heard, to see the blossoms in the trees and look to the sky beyond. Because I knew that I had to remind myself that the world was bigger than my lockdown experience. That God was doing something in the world Though on any given day, I might be feeling despair or loneliness or sadness. I had to keep looking and deliberately, intentionally look for signs of God's power. I was really learning the doctrine of providence, right? Practicing looking for signs of God's power. And Psalm 121 sees the psalmist walking on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. This is a psalm of ascent. It might well say that in the subtitle uh, after the name uh, Psalm 121. The psalms of ascents were the songs that pilgrims prayed as they ascended as they went up to Jerusalem. So they're kind of songs for the road. They're road trip songs. And look at how the psalmist begins his reflections on the road. I lift up my eyes. The psalmist knew that 
this dangerous journey to Jerusalem meant that he had to keep concentrating on the Lord. He says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? And of course, we read this and we think of beautiful mountaintops, perhaps the Swiss Alps, the Himalayas. But just remember that in the ancient world, mountains were not something beautiful. No one would have ever thought to look at a mountain going, oh my goodness, that's wonderful. Mountains just got in the way of doing trade. Mountains just got in the way of the most direct route to your destination. Mountains were obstacles. And on the top of mountains, in the Psalmist world, you'd see pagan shrines. As Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 3.23, truly the hills are a delusion, the orgies on the mountains. So the psalmist is walking to Jerusalem on his pilgrimage and he asks the question, I lift up my eyes to the hills and he sees pagan shrines. He says, where will my help come from? Well, verse 2, my help comes from the Lord who made the mountains, who made the heavens and the earth. He doesn't say, I look at the mountaintop and I just feel kind of a, a peace inside. He says, I look at the mountaintop. It's disgusting. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the one who made the mountaintops. My help comes from the Lord who made the heavens and the earth. Our help comes from the one who is much bigger, much more powerful than the, the priests or the orgies that were taking place on the mountains. The Lord is the one who has all power. Perhaps another voice, one who's taught the psalmist, reminds him in verse 3, He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord keeps Israel. This word in the version that was read to us in my version that I'm using today, has the word keep about eight times. Your, your version might not. It might use the word protect or something like that. But it's the same word eight times. It's the, one, it's the same word that's used in Genesis 2 to describe Adam and Eve keeping the garden, protecting the garden, working the garden nurturing the garden. It's not set and forget. The Lord is our keeper. The Lord tends my soul like a gardener would the garden. The Lord is all powerful. He made the heavens. And what does he do with his power? He nurtures my soul. He's a keeper. He tends me. 
if you will. Isn't it glorious? The psalmist has spoken about God's power better than any power, bigger than any power in this world. And what does God do with that power? He treats me as an individual. He cares for me intimately. He preserves me, protects me. What a beautiful picture of providence. The all-powerful creator cares for me. His power, his mighty power, is available to my soul. He is at work day and night. Verse 4, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. God is standing guard over me at all moments. He's so strong. He's so powerful. He never rests. He has sleepless nights so I don't have to. He gives me round-the-clock protection, as an advertiser might argue. The prayer I've prayed most in my Christian life is this. Please, God, today, keep out of my life people who distract me or harm me as a Christian. And please bring into my life people who affirm me Encourage me in healthy and godly ways. I assume I pray that prayer because God is my keeper and he's overseeing my life with his power and his tenderness. He cares about me even when I don't see his hand at work. Do you remember the story from the book of Numbers, 21, 20, 21 to 24, about King Balak and the prophet or the seer Balaam? It's an odd story. The people of Israel are on the march. They've left Mount Sinai and they're making their way to the promised land. They're on a pilgrimage. They're on a journey like the psalmist, right? They're encamped, but a long way away from where they're camped, we learn the story of King Balak, who wants to curse Israel because they're about to enter his territory. So King Balak summons this prophet, this seer, Balaam, and asks him to curse Israel. And three times Balaam refuses, though on one occasion he gets on his donkey to travel to see the king. But the donkey, you might remember the story, sees an angel on the road. The donkey gets down 
on his belly on the ground and refuses to go any further. But Balaam, who's riding the donkey, has no idea what's just gone on. Isn't it extraordinary that Israel had no idea in their own camp that God was protecting them miles and miles away by stopping King Balak from cursing his people. They were just having their breakfast. They were just doing their wheat bix. But distant from them, God is so organizing events that the people would be protected. It's an extraordinary story of providence, God keeping his people, even though they had no idea. Uh, over morning tea or lunch, please ask me about the time when a donkey spoke to me. So it's a true story. I was in Nepal, uh, just a magnificent kind of encounter with a speaking ass. So uh, please, I'll download on you when, when you come and ask the question. God is looking after you even when nothing is happening. But more than that in this psalm, it's not just that we learn that God was the creator of the mountains. The name of God in this psalm is the Lord, spelt with capitals. And when we read in the Old Testament, particularly the Lord's name with capitals, that's our way of translating the word Yahweh. Yahweh, the one who made a covenant with Israel. This God to whom the psalmist prays is not just the creator. He's the redeemer. He's the one who decided to rescue his people in the first place and give them his name as a sign of his commitment. This Yahweh, my help comes from Yahweh who made heaven and earth in verse 2. Or verse 5, Yahweh is your keeper. Yahweh is your shade on your right hand. Or verse 7, Yahweh will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. Yahweh will keep your going out and your coming in. The name Yahweh appears almost as much as the title keeper. Of course, Yahweh, of course, our covenant Lord has a stake in protecting us. He's chosen us in the first place. He's protecting us from all evil all the time. Did you notice that in verse 5, 6 and 7? The Lord will keep you, verse 7, from all evil. He will keep your life. He will keep you from all evil. Isn't that it? Isn't that a bit extreme? All evil, all the time, you're coming out and you're going in, not just meaning he protects you twice a day when you go out of the house and when you come home again, meaning that all your day from that moment to the last moment, God is protecting you from all evil all the time. His providence, his power is like a buffer. Did you ever watch the 
show years ago called Lost in Space. Some of the young'uns here might not have come across it, but some of the oldies might know it. What I loved about Lost in Space as a TV show when I was a kid was when they turned on the force field. They didn't have it on all the time, but when they did switch it on, the bad guys couldn't get beyond the force field around the spaceship. That's kind of what the psalmist is speaking about here. We might be threatened by evil, but it can never do its worst. We might be threatened, but God's power will never let evil do its worst. I needed this psalm some years ago when I was living in Germany. I was running late for my train. I was going on holidays. And I needed to catch the tram to get to the main railway station. I was living in Cologne. I saw my tram pulling into the platform. I was on the other side of the tracks. So I decided I'd get down into the tracks. It wasn't a big step down, not like in a big railway, but it was a six inches foot down, whatever. So that I could run across the tracks, get up onto the platform on the other side to catch my tram. Uh, it, it might be the most stupid thing I ever did. I got down the tracks and I had my backpack on. I tripped on the first set of tracks and fell flat on my face when I realised there were trams coming from two directions towards me on either side of the rails. Both slammed on their brakes just in time so that my arms on one set of tracks and my legs on another set of tracks uh, were not lost. I get up and I'm bleeding, I'm a bit dazed, uh, every German on the platform cursed me in fantastic German kind of style. I'm kind of feeling dizzy. I get into the tram. I sit down. The tram driver gets on the microphone in the tram and says, hey, that stupid guy who just clambered through the tracks, do not do that again. You're such an idiot. I'm just going, oh, my goodness, you know, how to kind of shame someone. It was a foolish thing to do. So I quickly you know, start flipping through the Psalms to find the Psalm that David prayed when he almost got run over by two trams. <laughs> psalm 121 was the closest I got. <clears throat> On that case, I was aware of the danger. I could see the trams coming. Sometimes God has protected me and I haven't even known about it at the time. But sometimes God's power is so magnificent that we see the danger and we learn how he cared for us. Those were great moments of God being my keeper, keeping me from the worst of evil, the worst that evil could do, my going out and my coming in from that time forth and forevermore. It's not just, though, that God is a powerful keeper. He's powerfully keeping me. He's personally engaged with me. In this psalm, it's not like God is using 
the east wind to separate the waters of the Red Sea. God is doing it all directly himself. He's the subject of the verbs. It's God who's getting between me and the sun and the moon so they don't do their worst. He has got my back. He's not impersonal and distant. He's not absent-minded. He is giving himself to us. It's not just that he's powerful. He's personal. He's close. I try and include a quotation from my homeboy, Jonathan Edwards, at least once in a series of talks. I've got a quote here from Edwards describing his conversion in which he sees that God is powerful and close. A wonderful combination. He was walking in the fields and he said, From about that time, I found an inward sweetness that used to carry me away in my contemplations. I don't know how to express it otherwise than by a calm, sweet abstraction of the soul from all the concerns of the world. And I, as I was walking there in the fields and looked up to the sky and the clouds, there came into my mind a sweet sense of the glorious majesty and grace of God. Notice that? So this is my words now. <laughs> majesty and grace. I don't know how to express it, he said. I seem to see them both in a sweet conjunction. Majesty and meekness joined together. It was a sweet and gentle, a holy majesty, a majestic meekness, an awful sweetness, a high and great and holy gentleness. You can see that he's, he's struggling to find the words. This experience was just so extraordinary for him. He says, the appearance of everything was altered. I often used to sit and view the moon, he said, for a long time. And in the daytime, spent much time in viewing the clouds and sky. And scarce anything among all the works of nature was so sweet to me as thunder and lightning. You can see thunder, the power of God in the skies. And for Edwards, it was kind of like this sweet moment because he knew that that power was accessible to him in tenderness. Friends, that's the way I want you to look at the world. When you look up and know God's providence, know that he's powerful and personal. Of course, Christians don't normally begin their, pray, to begin their prayers, Lord, our keeper. It's not a bad thing to do. Christians in days past might have used that language more often than we do. 
we're more likely to begin our prayers, God, our Father. We mean by that, much like the psalmist means by the word keeper. Our Father in heaven protects us and provides for us. He's constantly available to us personally. No wonder, as was read for us in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus teaches us that we shouldn't be anxious about our food or clothing because we have a heavenly Father who watches over us, who keeps us, provides for us and for the world as well. We have a Father in heaven, brothers and sisters, who knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows better than I do what I need and is tending my soul. He's keeping me such that his own generous provision is available. If you got lost in the Swiss Alps, just hypothetically, right? I'm not wishing this upon anyone. <laughs> if you got lost in the Swiss Alps, so the story goes, the Mountain Protection Society would send out their St Bernard dog who would have a little barrel of whiskey on its collar. The idea being, of course, that when the dog finds you, you take a swig of the whiskey and start feeling warm. I hear that's what whiskey does. <laughs> Actually, of course, when you take a swig of the whiskey, your, your body is getting colder. You feel warmth as the heat is being expelled from your body. You're actually getting colder. You're actually doing yourself harm by drinking the whiskey. Sometimes what we think is best for us is not best for us. Sometimes we wish our Heavenly Father would give us this or do that. But our Heavenly Father knows me better than I know myself. He knows my needs better than I know my needs. Of course he's not going to provide me with whiskey if that means that my body gets colder in the snow. Listen to these words of a beautiful hymn. This is my father's world. And to my listening ears, all nature sings and round me rings the music of the spheres. This is my father's world. I rest me in the thought of rocks and trees, of skies and seas, his hand, the nature's wrought. This is my father's world. The birds their carols raise. The morning light, the lily white declare their maker's praise. This is my father's world. He shines in all that's fair. In the rustling grass, I hear him pass. He speaks to me everywhere. This is my father's world. Oh, let me ne'er forget that though the wrong seems off so strong, God is the ruler yet. This is my father's world. 
Why should my heart be sad? The Lord is king. Let the heavens ring. God reigns. Let the earth be glad. Friends, the doctrine of providence, how we think about God's use of his power in the world, is a wonderful balm. It gives us confidence. It stops us panicking. There's almost nothing that's more perilous for the Christian than a sense of panic. Panic leads to bad decisions, impairs our spiritual vision, can cause us to lose faith. When we panic, this is what's going on, we think that the circumstance around us is more powerful than God. And so when we panic, we assume that we just have to give in to those circumstances because I can't resist them. Panic is disastrous because it assumes that your world is more powerful than the Lord. And when we think that, we just give in. We give in to our fears. We give in to our disorientation. We must not make a room in our hearts for panic. Eugene Pedersen, who recently died and wrote beautifully about pastoral ministry and translated the scriptures into a modern version of English, has this great line. All the water, and how glorious we see the Pacific Ocean around us, all the water in all the oceans cannot sink a ship unless the water gets inside. Isn't that great? All the water in all the oceans of the world cannot sink a ship until it gets inside. There's no cause in this world that should, should make us fear and panic. Because if you let it in, then you'll really be lost. No, of course. If you believe in the doctrine of providence, if you believe that God's power over the world and in your life is accessible, you're safe. I want you to feel confident as this weekend we think about the doctrine of providence. I want you to trust that God will provide for you like, the, like God provided for the psalmist in Psalm 121 on the road to Jerusalem. Like Jesus teaches that we must believe that God provides for us. So we persist in seeking God's kingdom and righteousness first. And all these other things, the Lord Jesus says, will be added unto you as well. It's very easy for those who aren't Christians and, truth be told, for people who are Christians as well, to believe that being a Christian is about feeling a force. 
And you'd know that people often describe, use this kind of language to describe their spirituality. May the force be with you is just a kind of extreme example. But actually, being a Christian is not just about feeling a force. It's about seeing a face. Being a Christian is not just feeling God's power. It's knowing that God's powerful in the face of Jesus Christ. Can you see the difference? I want to talk about power. I want to talk this weekend about God's power. I want to talk about the doctrine of providence. But we have to understand that the way God expresses his power chiefly is through the man, Jesus Christ. When I talk about power, I'm not talking about a force. I'm pointing you to a face. For Christians aren't fatalists. We don't believe in fate. That there's just these forces at work in the world with no mind behind them. Fate depersonalizes us, makes us robots. No, we don't, we don't speak about God's power because we want to be robots. We speak about God's power because we know that that power has been made available. He cares for us as uh, our Heavenly Father. Some Christians become superstitious. They have to get on the right side of power. They have to do certain activities or say certain words to make sure that that power stays available to them. No. We believe in the Heavenly Father. We believe in our Lord Jesus Christ. We believe in God, the Holy Spirit. We don't need to do certain superstitious practices. We can just delight in the gift that God gives us, which is himself. We're not resigned to our fate in the world. We are people who delight that we can look beyond the hilltops to the Lord who made the heavens and the earth. I understand that speaking about God's power can be dangerous because it might mean that you think you should act powerfully towards others. That you feel powerful, therefore you boss people or hurt people. I'm not saying that. Even though it's dangerous to speak about power, the scriptures speak about God's power. God's power constrained by the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have a heavenly father who provides for us abundantly in the person of his son and in the Holy Spirit. Well, we began this morning's session with the psalmist encouraging us to look to the hills, or so we thought. 
The psalmist is actually wanting us to look beyond the hilltop, beyond those so-called gods, beyond the fake god who those who are practicing orgies might have worshipped. The psalmist wants us to look to the real deal. For our Lord Jesus Christ, on a hill far away, died on an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. And I love that old cross where the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain. On that hill, we see the real deal. On that hill, we see a person with a face who cried out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? On that hill, we meet a God who cares so much that the Son dies to forgive us of our sins. On that hill, we meet the Lord Jesus who trusted his heavenly Father despite the pain and the evil he bore. Friends, I'm wanting you this weekend to grow in confidence that God's power is at work, of course. God's power is at work to protect you and to care for you. God's power is at work to provide for us a stable base on which we can live a joyous Christian life. Or as William Cooper, the poet and hymn writer said, Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. So the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.